Hello and welcome to episode 87 of Beekeeping at Five Apple Farm. This is Lee. I am so glad you have joined me today. I know I've been absent a bit. In the high summertime, there is so much to do on a farm. It is just unbelievable. But it's also so fun (laughs) and glorious and those long, long, wonderful days to get it done. So we're just past the summer solstice here in the United States. That's the peak, the high point of the bee year. As we've talked about before, in the winter, around winter solstice, the shortest day of the year, just as that light starts to become longer, the queen starts to lay, everything starts to build up. Well, summer solstice is high noon, if you will. It is the make it or break it peak of bee season in some senses, in in a natural cycle without any beekeeper input. The bees have reached their peak population As the sun shifts, as it just started to on summer solstice a week ago, as the sun shifts, then the gears shift in the beehive. As hard as it is for us to imagine, since now we're in the absolutely full-out summer, the bees are actually beginning or will shortly begin their winter prep. If this is your first year in bees and you've you've got a full-grown hive coming up soon here, you may start noticing a little bit of a personality change in your hive. They go from those ecstatic, delighted bees out on a flow to kind of grumpy and watchful and protective bees. It varies a lot with the personality of your particular hive and also what the flow in your region is doing. We tend to have a gap, and I've heard another podcaster talk about it as the June gap. I believe this is uh, the English podcaster, oh, Beekeeping Short and Sweet, Short and Sweet, Stuart Spinks. I think he refers to it as the June gap. And interestingly, we have a June gap here in Western North Carolina. So in the spring, we've finished out locust and tulip poplar. Unfortunately, here in my particular valley, tulip poplar got rained out again, just as the tulip poplar blooms began, just as they began. Then we ended a long dry spell and all of a sudden it rained every day. And tulip poplar blooms are like cups facing upward. And so the rain just takes out. I didn't get any tulip poplar honey to my knowledge. Now, one of the out yards that I have, they have a little bitty bit of tulip poplar. Little bummed because that is my one of my very favorite honeys. Locust is that light, bright champagne honey as we call it. So the spring honey to my eye looks mostly like a wildflower blend. <laughs> wildflower is just when you don't know what's in there, just all the stuff that's around you. Some areas of our region have a basswood flow in June. I don't seem to have that in my home yard. I've never noticed any significant basswood flow to amount to anything here other than little tiny bits in Burcombe, which you know you eat while you're out in the the bee yard. (laughs) You break off those little pieces of Burcombe with nectar and taste them strictly for scientific testing of what's coming in. And it also keeps you going in a long afternoon or morning of of bee work. But I don't seem to have much of a, a basswood flow. It's that very white but minty flavored honey. And then if we're lucky, in the next couple few weeks, we will have a, a sourwood flow. Again, I'm not in the best sourwood area, although I'm near it. I get to hear all about it <laughs> from people who are in fabulous sourwood areas. I think I'm a little bit high in elevation for the best sourwood. We get some some years better than others. All in all, to be completely honest, my valley is not the really the greatest 
honey spot in the world, and that's actually okay with me, because as you all know, it's the bees I love, and by golly, <laughs> my area is a harsh testing ground for bees. Now, I have the advantage in that there's not a lot of other beekeepers around, so that's one advantage, but the downside is it's almost all forest. If any of those major flows that I just mentioned, if they get knocked out by rain or if it's windy that week that they're blooming, then my bees might not have a lot. This is one reason uh, I don't keep a ton of hives here at the home yard, partly because I just don't have time to work that many hives, and I've kind of started cutting back a little bit because I want to be more focused. On the podcast I mentioned last year, late summer, I, I lost my grip. <laughs> I lost my grip on things. I, I was raising too many bees. I mean, too many. What is too many? Too many is all about just what your time limits are. If you're full time, then maybe there's no limit to how many you can have, especially if you hire people. But if you're a sideliner or just a hobbyist like me, there is just a limit to what your time and your back can can hold up to. So I've tried to cut back on the number of hives. Uh, I'm trying to really stay under my dozen limit. Used to be eight. <laughs> now it's a dozen, but I'm really trying to stay under that and manage them more closely. I also, again, have just kind of let go of the idea of producing much honey because I'm so focused on raising strong survivor bees to the best of my ability in a micro kind of setting. Now, on that topic, I am so excited about some of the queens I've raised. Uh, this year, some of my queens from the survivor stock and hopefully mated with some of the new newer bloodlines that I've come that I've brought in and um allowed to have a lot of drone comb. I have some of the most beautiful queens that I've ever raised and that is thrilling to me stunning brood patterns, very hygienic so far. So fingers crossed because the other thing about high summer and as we, you know, in this in this next uh, between summer solstice and fall equinox, wow, that is the testing ground for your bees because they are up against all kinds of things. They're up against time and light beginning to decrease as the season moves toward fall. Perhaps more pro profoundly in more areas, they are up against mites because what happens is as the bee population begins to decline about now, and it's very counterintuitive because you open those hives and it's just, they're boiling over with bees. There's so many bees. There's bees everywhere. And if you're in a hot area and maybe your hive is a little hot, maybe you don't have the greatest ventilation going on, you will see bees up the front of the hive in the evenings trying to, to cool off. That has always bothered me. <laughs> they just look uncomfortable to me. So back in Arkansas, I used the ventilated top covers that were all screen the entire top and inner cover so it's got a rain thing over it obviously but the inner cover was all screen it had a tiny little ridge on each end that lifted up the outer cover just about maybe an eighth or a quarter of an inch off of that and it, it creates a lot of ventilation and this was very handy in the summer to get them to dry honey but pretty much we in the mountains have not had a terribly hot summer yet with the screened bottom boards which to me, their their use is ventilation rather than any discernible mite impacts. I mean, it's good if a mite falls out now and then, but I don't. I haven't seen that it makes that big of a difference with mites, but it does make a big difference with ventilation. And I really like being able to slide that varroa board in or out, depending on how much ventilation I want the hive to have. 
when I am starting out new baby hives, like let's say I've raised a queen in a mating nuke or a queen castle, and maybe I have three frames of bees in a new queen, and in the in the springtime in particular, if I'm putting them in a single, I'm upgrading them to a single eight frame medium, then I don't want them to have um, a big draft for sure, and, and I also want them to have a smaller, cozy area so they can really control the warmth and the humidity because that's critical for that brood nest to, for them to be able to control their own warmth and humidity as they want to. So I have found the Varroa boards in on small little hives especially on those cool spring nights and then when it gets really hot the Varroa boards out and some top ventilation create a good seem the bees seem to like that. Now the other extreme is the Layens hive I have. I shouldn't say extreme, but it is so heavily insulated that they don't seem to have a lot of trouble with it getting too hot. It's it's so counter again counterintuitive because you would feel like it was just this burning hot cooler out there in the sun with all that insulation, but the truth is it keeps the heat out. They appear to be extremely capable of regulating their heat and humidity in the lands. Just another thing to love about it. Now on the lands hive, which I talked about last time, I am back to my very conflicted position on natural comb <laughs> because I love natural comb. It is, and by that I mean no foundation, no wires. They just draw their natural comb or on the lands, which came with wires there's no foundation and they draw their natural comb. So that's the upside. It's beautiful. It's very easy to harvest for wax or to harvest when you're just renewing brood comb and you want to get old comb out. Super easy. You just cut it out and put it in whatever wax melting setup you have. But wow, the number of drone the number of drones in that land hive is staggering. I, I don't know if <laughs> if that particular colony is just drone crazy. I mean, they definite ha- they definitely have a queen right setup. I mean, she does plenty of worker brood. There is plenty of worker brood in there. But just the sheer number of drones is is amazing to me. And I just don't know yet. I haven't stuck with the natural comb thing enough to know if they're just kind of going crazy on the front end because they're used to foundation and all of a sudden they can make these drones. I don't know if there's some kind of cyclical up and down, you know, besides seasonal, but uh, with them or if this particular colony is just drone crazy. But this is why I sort of backed off on the natural comb a few years ago. I'm like, that's it. I'm going to natural comb just because it's so simple. It eliminates just so many things and so many things to buy and to deal with in terms of foundation. But I stopped at that time because, again, the number of drones at that time, I was very active, uh, actively raising queens to sell, which I'm not really doing anymore. We have a fabulous queen rearer in our area. Michelle of Moral Bees is taking care of providing queens for our area. So I don't feel any pressure on that. At the time, I was so eager to provide some good genetic stock to the area because all we had was commercial bees coming in and it was just bad. It was, they were coming out of California. They were not particularly hygienic and it, it was just not good. So I felt a lot of urgency to try to do my best and raise some local survivor queens and share those. Now, I've gotten completely spoiled because with a professional queen rear in the area, I just 
do what I want. I just play with my bees and if I have some stock that's particularly great, I like to share them with her and then I'm getting stock from her to improve my own and it's just been delightful. So yay, Moral Bees. I'm a huge fan and she's in Burnsville, North Carolina. So if you're in the Western North Carolina area, she is selling her queens some at Honey in the Hive. Be sure to ask if the queens you're buying from Honey in the Hive are from Moral Bees, M-O-R-A-L, that's her family last name, uh, because she has got a great selection of stock over there. I've been very pleased. I am just thrilled to have a quality queen rear in our area, and she is collecting stock from some very interesting sources, and she has some five apple stock as well. But I'm going to tell you some not-so-cheery updates from my yard. (laughs) Again, as usual, beekeeper error. This time I had a little help in the form of a bear. I mentioned back in the winter I was really paranoid because I had moved all my bees to my home yard to better keep an eye on them because we had a really up and down winter and it's it's challenging to keep an eye on for me with all, with as much work as I was doing in the winter to keep an eye on the hives in different yards. So I had brought them all back to the farm and I was paranoid because that meant that all my stock was in one yard and if there was a bear catastrophe that could be bad or any kind of catastrophe fire or otherwise and when you've worked on your stock for uh, 11 years <laughs> it's it's like your treasure and you don't want anything to happen to it so back in the spring the 1st of may i had several hives ready to go to an out yard and at that time i thought okay i'm going to make this out yard kind of my honey yard i had prepared hives with that in mind got them all right sized for that type of thing and the night before i was going to move them this was a may 1st a bear hit them now i had them outside of my electric enclosure and as you know you know the spouse is like well duh you know not to do that <laughs> but it, and it was true but I will confess I've gotten spoiled to the bears in our valley being on kind of a seasonal cycle. You have to really watch out for them in the fall, the late spring, the winter, in case, you know, if they wake up and are wandering around hungry, you have to watch out for them. Also, in the cooler weather, bees cannot defend their hives as well, which is already difficult against a bear because there's not much that a bee can get to on a bear except their nose and eyes and, (laughs) I don't know, but they, bears seem to be darn good at wrecking hives and somehow not getting stung enough to run them off. Here in the National Forest, Typically speaking, in the summer, the bears have traditionally gone up higher to higher altitudes, higher elevations, and do their summer bear thing. So what did the pattern I had gotten used to, while of course I preach do not have your bees outside of electric fence in western North Carolina ever, 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 (laughs) I was not walking my talk for this one few set of few days and a bear came knocked over the hives that were about to to go to another yard the upside was most of them were strapped together um so they were upset and a little bit cattywonk but it was mostly a matter of just setting them back on the stand two were not so lucky one was strapped but when it was pushed over it was pushed into a hive that was not strapped so it went everywhere putting a hot putting a yard back together after a bear attack is ugly now we because they were so close to the house because i was preparing to move them we heard the clatter 
and immediately, you know, jumped up in the night, hollered. I never did see the actual bear, just saw his handiwork. And knowing how upset bees are when they get knocked over, I did not go out in the night because I am just not that raven crazy. Because after they've been knocked over, generally speaking, the bees will just attack whatever warm-blooded thing comes near. And so there's a huge safety issue this is for beginners especially if a hive is knocked over and if you keep a hive like in somebody else's yard or somebody else's farm that's not familiar with bees be sure to tell them that if any time if that hive ever gets knocked over do not go anywhere near it keep animals children people away from that because after that you need to be in a full-out bee suit with full-out gloves to put them back together and I just, I, the next morning I got up full of regret <laughs> of my stupid, stupid thing, you know, I, and again, it it was stupid. Yes. But also I thought we were kind of past the bear danger zone and I got casual. So anyway, I put those back together and they were actually okay because we had been able to stop the bear, you know, right away and they were just knocked over. I then put up a quick emergency electric around them because I didn't want to move them a when they were still mad because um, there are farmers (laughs) over that farm and I did not want to bring them like really pissed off hives and I also wanted to give them several days to recover get themselves together from being knocked over so that I could check and make sure that they still had their queens and they did so a very sobered kind of nervous person I am checking the voltage then on my home yard and kind of wondering how to get higher voltage out of my solar charger pondering getting a second charger for the home yard because I was concerned that you know the the bear was was uh focused in on them so a week went by i moved the hives they're they're all fine got them over there kind of uh did some super weed eating or scalping (laughs) of the yard here of the grass so that the weeds would not interfere with the solar charger the new temporary charger that i set up is a plug-in and oh man i love that that thing just blows the little gauge off the fence tester because it's it's like a 25 mile charger on a fence that's about 10 foot by 10 foot and that gives the kind of charge you want for a bear now of course the only hope you have of an electric fence defending a bear is if they touch it with their nose or tongue and so some beekeepers up here in the mountains what they will do is they will bait the electric fence I've always had mixed feelings about this because up until now I haven't had much trouble with bears. So I did not want to bring them to the yard. (laughs) Did not want to bring the bears to the yard by baiting the fence, which some people will rub a piece of bacon on the electric wires. It sounds awful, but what it will do is they will smell the bacon, sniff the wire, get a good pop. And then that bear, that particular individual bear will avoid that yard. And that's what you want. So I have not gotten to baiting the fence. I've also heard of putting a little peanut butter on a little aluminum foil on the wires. Then you get a good, you know, tongue zap. And again, that particular bear will not mess with those particular hives. So you would think I'd learn my lesson, right? (laughs) But some of us are just particular difficult learners because, because a month goes by and there was no more activity from the bear. The bird feeders were not being messed with. I had heard no more reports from neighbors of bear attacks on their cars. This particular bear had become locally famous because 
he had personally dismantled the interiors of multiple cars in the area. The people who were like, hey, I'm locking my doors, they would go out. <laughs> and this happened uh, actually in a, in a pretty fancy neighborhood nearby. The neighborhood association apparently sent out a message, you know, lock your doors because the bears get in cars and tearing things up and getting things out of cars. So people started locking their doors and people started waking up to no door handles on their entire car. (laughs) The bear was also locally famous. One of my closer neighbors had the entire console of a brand new Tahoe removed by the bear. $6,000 in damage. So in a valley famous for bear hunters, after a month of absolutely not a peep from or about the bear, I honestly thought, I was in the clear. Now, I'm not going to put any of my real hives, obviously, outside of electric. But here comes the, what does it take for me to learn part. And that is, for all the years that I have lived here, in the summer, in the the brief time that is really the best uh, queen mating time for my yard, I have put mating nukes out in the back fence. Now, this is a big livestock fence. It would keep sheep or goats or cows, or in my case, chickens and ducks, keeps them in and keeps most predators out. It's coyote tight, you know, relatively coyote tight. I haven't had a real determined one yet. Of course, nothing's raccoon proof. So the poultry does go up, get locked up at night if they're not going to be eaten. I know we've had bears come over in the fall, come over the fence because all they, they can climb most anything to eat apples. But I have never seen or been bothered by a bear in the summer in all the time we've lived here for little mating nukes. These are very tiny little hives and I think they don't have enough of a honey smell or enough of a brood smell, which is the protein that really the bees are going, I mean the bears are going after. They don't really have, seem to have that smell. So I had gotten in the habit of having little mating nukes just all over the place. I've had them on the porch, I've had them, (laughs) had them on outside my workshop in a little covered area, just sitting around on work tables to the point that I couldn't do any work on them because they were covered with little mating nukes. I've had them up in the orchard. And when queens are returning, you really, ideally, you want them at least facing opposite directions, the entrances for each one. So when the queen comes back, you want her to be very able, easily able to discern which hive she's trying to get back into. Because if she goes into a different one, And if they already have a mated queen, they will kill her. If they have a queen that is not mated and they, but, but she's their favorite, they'll kill her. So you, you definitely want them to go back to the right one. And this is why if you see photos of mating nukes, they tend to be spread out or facing different directions or very different colors or designs on them, something to help that queen orient to the right one. So you'll have as few losses as possible. Because even on a good day, typically, you know, if I get three out of four queens back and mated, I feel like I'm in high cotton. So I had a whole bunch of little mating nukes spread out. A month had gone by, not a peep, not a sign from the bear. And I'm going to be honest, folks, uh, I really thought one of the local hunters had dispatched the bear because we these are wild bears up here. (laughs) These are wild national forest bears where I live. They're not city bears. And so they typically stay way away from dogs and people. If you don't 
you know, do something dumb, like leave your beehive out or your, or your bird feeder out, then they'll, they'll stay away most of the time. So my mating nukes, I had checked them. A lot of them had queens, was letting them build up. I had my usual spread of just them having them all over the place. And the bear hits again. So the bear wasn't gone. (laughs) And I'm just now, I'm like, okay, I get it. I've just got to act like maybe the bear's never gone. I have this terrible paranoid theory that they're bringing bears from the city up here and releasing them. (laughs) Because we are near a bear sanctuary. And I sure hope that's not the case because... We sure don't deserve that. We have plenty of them of of our own. Let me pause here and say I actually love bears. Bears are fascinating, amazing creatures. There's a book that if you are interested in um, bears, particularly black bears, it's wonderful. It's called Out on a Limb. It is by Benjamin Killam, K-I-L-H-A-M. Again, Out on a Limb by Benjamin Killam. The subtitle is what Black Bears Have Taught Me About Intelligence and Intuition. It is a great book on many levels. First of all, it's just really enjoyable. But the story of this guy who is a, a black bear rehabber, a wildlife rehabber, the story is great because he, as a young man, all he wanted to be in the world was a bear researcher. That was his absolute dream. But he had a severe learning disability. I don't know if it was dyslexia that made the schoolwork, the the book learning to become a bear researcher just n- impossible for him. He's probably in his 60s at least now. So back in the day, they didn't have a lot of the resources that kids have now if they are diagnosed and a lot of the tutoring and things to to get them able to do the schoolwork. He was obviously brilliant and what he did was a wonderful workaround. He got himself a profession he could do and that was to be a gunsmith. So he became a well-known gunsmith and then he did the training and became a wildlife rehabber. What was amazing is because he wasn't really limited by the rules of you know, scientific research. And wow, will you see this, the difference between university research on bees and and then beekeeper research on bees. (laughs) It's real different. Those are different countries. And similarly, he became a wildlife rehabber. Well, the plus of that was he had incredible powers of observation. And since he had raised these cubs, mostly orphan, orphan cubs, he had raised them and they had been released in the wild, still they knew him and they would let him hang out and observe bear society in a way that no researcher had been able to do. And he was able to disprove some of the things that were just accepted knowledge in bear research circles from observation and being able to stay unusually close to bears for an unusually long time he really added to the knowledge of bears. And so I thought that was just a, it's a beautiful story um, to overcome a difficulty like that and to still persevere and follow his dream and then end up contributing in a unique way because he did not arrive at uh, research in the traditional university fashion. So I highly recommend this book if, you, if you're interested in bears, Out on a Limb. Anyway, okay, back to bees and bears, which are not a happy combination. (laughs) So I wake up one morning to find that on the very, the very uh, back portion of the mating, the, uh, the larger mating yard, the bear had come back 
and had just rolled a bunch of queen castles, mating nukes, and some singles that were almost big enough to move, you know, elsewhere, (laughs) had just rolled them down the hill. Now, I think those bees were defensive enough that he didn't seem to get to eat much of anything, with the exception of one queen castle that was brand new. I had gotten some wonderful, very special genetics in queen cells from my friend Michelle. Had installed them in a queen castle, put them out there, you know, holding my breath because I'm very excited. Well, he just ate the queen castle. I literally have the JZBZ cups chewed and I showed them to Michelle and she was like, oh my God, that was just a huge mistake of mine. And I will say it's, it's really a pain because managing multiple electric fences is a pain, but it's just non-negotiable if you are in um, bear territory. So now I am permanently educated (laughs) that I can't rely on what has happened in the past with the bears, you know, how they've just not bothered um, to come into my fence, my non-electric fence in summers past. And so that's different now. I put all my mating nukes back together. Amazingly, Amazingly, everybody turned out okay with the exception of that queen castle that was completely destroyed and eaten. Now, the eaten part was really a problem because once a bear realizes what's in a hive, then they're much worse about wanting to get in there to the point that if they really get a good meal out of a beehive, now he just got a little snack because, you know, maybe there was one frame of brood in each slot of that queen castle that he ate. The queen castle also has like bite marks and scratch marks all over it um, for my, I should just set that up in my workshop to be a good reminder. But truthfully, I won't ever do that again. So now talk about pain in the butt. So now I have, of course, my main electric yard. I have a new electric yard uh, just to give me an alternative spot. Um, The nice thing about the new electric yard, (laughs) this is another aside, a friend of mine, Susan, had said how much she loved where she had her hives because from her office window, she, she works from, she has a very interesting job and works from home, but from her office window, she can look out against the dark trees and see the bees flying in the sunshine. And ever since she told me that, I've been like, oh, I want that. And I have had it in the in the winter when I've had the observation hive in the house. I don't keep the observation hive going in the summer because they grow too much, too much trouble. I've had that, you know, being able to see the bees against the dark trees flying against the sun. And I love it. So I strategically put the new temporary yard while I had some pity points from the spouse, I had put this yard. I'm like, I have to put up this electric fence. And so it's around it. And now that it is, I'm not taking it down really fast because the hives in that yard are so close to my office window that I can see the bees flying in the sunshine, little golden drops against the dark tree line of the forest. And that's a joy to me. So hopefully barring family conflict, I'm going to keep that yard right there. I have to keep it really small because it is near a walking area of ours and I don't want to get in trouble there. Next year, I mean, I'm pretty much done with my my queen mating for the year. I have one more set that uh, I'll be doing. I'll be putting those mating nukes in the main yard, which I don't have as good a return down there. I think there's other hives that the queens end up going in. And also, I think the birds really know that that's a good eating zone. (laughs) The Phoebes and the Bluebirds really love that area, and I lose a lot of queens. To add insult to injury, 
also it is dragonfly season now seeing dragonflies come out and they are voracious bee eaters although it's not a problem except for queens which they seem to have a fondness for now if i get lucky all those drones from the lands hive will keep the dragonflies and the birds well fed and maybe they'll stay off my queens but i'm about to wrap it up here because that is i think The lesson I learned from last year, ask me what my lesson is this year, but anyway, last year, my lesson was to not let things get out of hand in the late summer, early fall, because it's not a fun time to work bees. The bees do not welcome you, to say the least. The hives are full and packed and full of... um, Uh, in some cases honey, but they've got a a good stash of honey. It makes it hard to inspect, all those things. Last year, I felt like the mistake I made was to have more hives than I could carefully manage. And a lot of them went into winter not in an ideal setup. You know, either they, well, not let's just say not ideal, Uh, despite in some cases perfect mite counts, but they didn't have the young population. I'll talk much more about that in upcoming podcasts because we're about to get in that zone. It won't be long because at least in our area in August, they are raising winter bees. They are raising the bees that will go into winter, get through winter. The only way they can do that is if they are not diseased with viruses from the mites and if they're not overwhelmed with mites. Period. End of story. It doesn't matter how you hold your mouth or what kind of hive you have or what great books you've read, or what philosophy you hold, it doesn't matter. If they are diseased with viruses or besieged with mites, those are not going to be healthy winter bees, and at best, they will limp and struggle through winter. It's not pretty. I've seen it. I've learned not to do that. (laughs) But in last year, my mite counts were good. In fact, I was delighted with my mite counts, but the mistake I made was to not feed them during a dearth we had in that critical time. And as counterintuitive as it sounds, they they had plenty of stores, but it was honey. It was capped honey. They didn't raise the young bees. They went into winter with too small a population, and some did not do well. So trying to do better on that this year, obviously. Now going forward and in future years, I will not have any hives outside of electric, period, end of story, even if I've done it successfully in the past with the mating nukes. That's my tale. That's my summer, June drama and tale. And I hope it will be helpful to some of you. I'm going to do another podcast really quick because I got off track in June. I really like to try to do at least two a month. But I have a wonderful article, particularly for beginners, on success in your first year of bees. Now, some of it will be talking about things that have already passed. But for first year beekeepers, a lot of it, you really, the critical stuff is starting about now. Summer solstice is like a, just think of it as a big alarm clock. For you to go into the mindset of winter prep, as strange as that sounds in the heat of summer. Anyway, I hope all of you are doing so well. I appreciate every single listener, all the wonderful messages that you've sent on Patreon. I have a few messages overdue you to write back to people, get back on that right away. And thank you, patrons, for keeping this show going you keep it going. You mean everything to this podcast. So thank you, every single patron. Thank you to every single listener. If you're not a patroner and you would like to leave a good rating on the Apple podcast, I appreciate it. It keeps it keeps the 
it keeps Apple showing the podcast to people who search for beekeeping. Appreciate that. It means a lot to me. Y'all have a wonderful week. Please write me. Tell me how you're doing. Tell me how your bee yards are doing on Patreon. Just send a message. And you're also, any of you are welcome to send an email to blueridge714 at gmail.com. I'm not always able to write back, but if I can, I will. And regardless, I love to hear what's going on in your bee yard. Thank you and talk to you soon.